The message you're about to listen to is by Reverend Dr. Femi Olaleye of Oikea Christian Center. Remain blessed as you listen. All right, today we are going to be looking at New Testament worship under the theme Heartstrings. New Testament worship under the theme Heartstrings. Hallelujah. Are we set up to put scriptures up or should I use my own Bible? Hallelujah. Very important, this subject we are about to look into. New Testament worship. Now, you know, we say New Testament worship just for clarity's sake. But the truth is that worship is worship. Amen. In the Old Testament, worship was represented in typologies and shadows. Hallelujah. But in the New Testament, we have the substance in that we are able to worship God in spirit and in truth. All right. The Old Testament says we're not able to worship God in spirit and in truth because, all right, they did not have Christ manifested, Christ dying, Christ buried, Christ raised from the dead. So because that was not a reality to them, all right, we found that they had to make do with the typologies that were present in the flesh. Praise God. So it is important to understand what worship and praise is. And that's what we are going to be doing all through the month of March for the midweek service during our research services. It's important to understand what worship and praise is and what this activity seeks to achieve. We must never forget that all activities in the local church must draw inspiration from the scriptures, which is the body of truth handed over to us. So the first question we need to answer is this. What exactly is worship? I grew up in a church thinking that worship had to do with slow songs, while praise had to do with fast songs. That worship was when the music was slow, and praise was where the beat was a bit fast. So I thought that was what worship was about. Hallelujah. So what is worship? Now, let us apply the rule of first mention. The law of first mention, we talk, um, explained that the law of first mention is one of the most um, important um, emanetics rule, all right, where if you want to study something, you find out where it was first mentioned in the text. For where it was first mentioned in the text and how it was used, where it was mentioned, we give you an idea of the consistent and continuous use of that, all right, of that word throughout that text. Now, it's very important for us to say hermeneutics, praise God, is not only limited to Bible, all right? You apply the laws of hermeneutics for anything that has to do with literature, praise the Lord, all right? So that's why we qualify um, hermeneutics that had to do with the study of the Bible by calling it what? Biblical hermeneutics, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, so hermeneutics is not Spiritual. Hermeneutics is not a spiritual exercise. Glory to God. It is a grammatical exercise. Are you following? That is why it is universal. Such that if you have any text anywhere, all right, by the laws of hermeneutics, you would need you will be able to decipher what is said. But the difference between hermeneutics in literature and hermeneutics in Bible terms, is that you will need the help of the Spirit of God to be able to properly what apply hermeneutics laws. Because without the aid of the Spirit of God, you will not be able to properly decipher what is being said. Are you following? That's why when you're you talking about hermeneutics, in biblical hermeneutics, you must study what was said in the Old Testament and link it to the explanation in the New Testament. Are you following? You cannot just study a chapter of scripture and limit it to what has been said in the Old Testament, forgetting that the Old Testament, all right, is, uh, has Christ concealed in it, while the New Testament has Christ's word revealed and explained in it. So you must link Old Testament scripture, chapter, and grammar to Old Testament scripture, chapter, and grammar. Are you following what I'm saying here? All right, that's why um, one of the things that normally happens when folks actually just use um, um, the laws of hermeneutics nonchalantly and carelessly, and you now find that they now come to becoming atheists and not find Christ that is clearly revealed in scripture. Praise God. Praise God. The law of first mention, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5. Hallelujah. 
Genesis 22 and verse 5. What does it say? And Abraham said, okay, let's start from verse 1. Those of you that may be having issues streaming video, we apologize. We are aware of what's going on. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now, verse 2, and he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. Now, very clearly for us to understand, we have certain terms used here. Abraham rose up early in the morning and seduced us, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac's son, um, no, 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 go back to verse 2. I have not said you should move yet. All right. And he said, take now thy son, thy only son. Now, that expression, thy only son, all right, is very instructive. And the reason why it's instructive is because at this time, Abraham had two sons. So Isaac was not the only son that Abraham had. So when we see, take thy son, thy only son, we are seeing, all right, a messianic statement there. We are seeing a Christologic concept being portrayed in that scripture because all right the bible let us say for god so loved the world that he gave his what only begotten son hallelujah that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not what perish but have what everlasting life or eternal life so we are beginning to see that there was a christologic concept mentioned in genesis 22 in god telling abraham to give up his only son so if you look at it plainly and just literally we will say that there was an incorrect translation there because abraham had more than one son are you following but when we look at it in christ we see that it was an accurate rendition and an accurate explanation of what was going on because what god was asking abraham for was not all right his son isaac god was actually telling him in typology that he was going to give up his own son praise god let's continue I said, take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. Now, verse 3, everybody read. He says, What? He said, Abraham rose up early in the morning, and sat with his house, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and cleaved the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had what told him. Verse 4, what does he say? He says, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad we go yonder, and what? And what? And what? Worship. We will go yonder, and we will worship. Now, I know we use the word, I'm, I'm using, when I say the first mention of the word worship, I'm telling you the first mention of the word worship in English. Praise God. But in Hebrew, that word worship is the word shakar. Shakar and shakar basically means to bow down. Amen. It means to bow down. That's what it means to bow down. Basically, when you see what the Muslims do when they say Allah Akbar and they go like that, oh, on the ground, that's what shakar means. Shakar in talking about posture and physical. Um, body language literally speaks to what? Bowing down. That's what worship means, shaka is. But you can see here, it says, I am the land we go yonder and worship. As we continue reading, we will find out that even though shaka is used here, all right, there was no bowing down involved in what Abraham did. Are you following what I'm saying here? He now says, and come again to you. Next verse, 5. It now says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took notice. He says, we are going to worship. Right? Now look at what he takes as necessary for worship. Okay? He didn't say tambourine, keyboard, and drum set. No. He said, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon what? Isaac, his son. Hmm? And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. What is that showing us? Number one, it shows us that that wood of the burnt offering, all right, when we're talking about the wood of the burnt offering, the burnt offering, all right, is what symbolizes the what? The incineration, all right, of the body of the sin offering, all right, meaning that the, the sin offering or the lamb took upon itself, all right, the punishment and the judgment 
for the sin that men had committed. I told you many times that in scripture, especially in typology, fire, all right, speaks of judgment. All right, fire speaks of judgment, all right, and when we have the fire coming on the lamb, all right, for a sin offering or for a burnt offering, it's talking about the judgment of God coming on the body of the lamb or the offering, all right, but that judgment is coming on that lamb because sin or the sin of the people has been imputed into the body of the lamb. If you read um, the atonement in Leviticus chapter number 17, all right, uh, the explanation there, then it goes in verse 21 and says that the uh, the blood is given for what? For the atonement of sins. All right, you know, we don't need to go into all of that now. All right, so he says, Abraham took the wood of the bond of and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, pay attention, behold of fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for what? A burnt offering. Now, remember, Abraham said they were going to worship. Remember that. Remember that. Yet, all the reference that we see, all the discourse that we see is pointing to a sacrifice. Are you seeing that? It's pointing to a what? Sacrifice. Meaning that the sacrifice was the worship. Amen. Amen. The sacrifice was what? Was the worship. And let's go on. And as he spoke on the Abraham's father, I said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamp for burnt offering? Next verse. Then uh, um, Abraham now says something so beautiful that tells us something beautiful that he understood or right the revelation of Christ. He says, And Abraham said, My son, God will what? Provide himself a lamp for what? A burnt offering. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we can see here, all right, with Abraham's statement, all right, my son, God will provide himself God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. We begin to see, all right, Abraham pointing to Christ, the Messiah, and pointing to the sacrifice that the Messiah was going to offer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, we have very clearly, all right, in St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 36, turning there, John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. The Lamb of God. Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb. John the Baptist comes and says, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the lamb of God. Praise the Lord. Behold the lamb of God. So, if the worship of Abraham was tied to offering a sacrifice, Hallelujah. And we are talking now about offering up spiritual sacrifices and New Testament worship. It would mean that just as Abraham knew that to worship God in the Old Testament, a sacrifice was needed. In the New Testament, glory to God, for it to be possible for men to worship God as they should worship God, a sacrifice is also what required. Glory to God. Glory to God. All right. A sacrifice is also required. Jesus is that sacrifice that's required. Amen? Amen? Jesus was that sacrifice that's required. Because the word shakar, alright, means to bow down. That is, the bowing down is a symbolism that speaks of surrender. When a man bows down, alright, in the Jewish religion and all, all of that, prostrates himself to another man, what he's saying is that he totally surrenders and submits himself to that person. Are you following? So when you, in the Old Testament, when they bowed down and they prostrated and covered their faces, what they were saying by that action was that they totally submitted and surrendered themselves to the will of who? Of God. Are you following? All right, that's what it means. All right, to surrender themselves, to pay reverence, to submit to the will of God, to submit to a deity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
You understand that? That is what it means to worship. So worship is not singing. There is singing in worship. A man can sing and not worship. Glory to God. A man can sing and not worship. A man can give and not worship. Worship is first and foremost, glory to God, tied to the sacrifice of Jesus. It's first and foremost tied to the sacrifice of Jesus. So the worship of Abraham was in the sacrifice. Now, if we look at that um, Genesis 22, we can see clearly, all right, that, <laughs> amen, that Abraham, okay, on Mount Moriah, and by his actions that day, demonstrated his faith in Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16 to 19. Let's look at that. Amen. Look how this is. Hebrews 11, 16 to 19. Because he goes to offer Isaac, but he knows that Isaac is going to come back with him. You understand? I, thought, I think I taught you this in soteriology. He goes to offer Isaac, but he knows that Isaac is going to go back with him because Abraham knew that Isaac was not the lamb God would provide. Are you following? He knew Isaac was not the lamb that God reward would provide. Abraham had faith in Christ. The Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for what? Righteousness. What did he believe? He, it's what he believed about Christ, the Messiah. Hallelujah. What he believed about eternal life. All right. So he believed, I said, he believed God and he was counted unto him for righteousness. So Abraham knew, hey, the Messiah is not Isaac. The Messiah, all right, the Lamb of God that God will provide is not Isaac. So he says, God will provide himself. A lamb. Look at Hebrews 11. It says, But now, listen, they desire a better country that is an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was what? Tried, offered up what? Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his what? His only begotten son. Now, notice, he said he offered up. Did he offer him up? No. Because Isaac didn't die. He just put him there. Offer up means he offered him up. Alright? That means he's talking in typology. Next verse. Alright? In verse 18, he says, Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seek be called. Now, look at it. Verse 19, everybody read. He says what? Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in what? A figure. So that means he's saying in that Isaac climbed that altar and came down, all right, the death of Jesus, his burial and his resurrection was what? In, in typology, in that, in, that, in that picture. Are you seeing that? Come on, are you seeing that? Very important to note. So he's saying this is the gospel in typology in Isaac offering his son, him lying on that altar and getting up again. He is telling you that Abraham received in typology the resurrection of Isaac from the dead. Are you following? Are you seeing this? Come on, church. Are you seeing this? So when Jesus said, Abraham desired, look at it, John chapter 8. And verse 56. John 8, 56. Look at what he says quickly. He says here, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was what? Glad. You see this? Jesus is letting you know that his gospel and his message was known by Abraham. Hallelujah. So he is threatening them, letting you know, and he's letting them know that what he's teaching about eternal life is not strange to Abraham. It is only strange to them. That's why he said, if you were the children of Abraham in truth, you would agree with what I'm saying. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. So, the bowing of the head, all right, and all of that prostration was a demonstration of absolute surrender to God. You understand? Very, very important. All right, very, very important. All right, in Genesis chapter 24, verse 26, you will see that expression that we bow the head, all right, as an, as an expression of um, surrender and submission. Let's just look at some examples where it talks about the bow the head. Genesis 24, 26. 
What does he say? And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. Notice. So there were two ways, all right, shakar happened. Either you prostrated straight on the floor or you bowed your head. You understand? Both are postures of what? Submission and reverence. Are you following? Submission and reverence. Submission and reverence. All right, look at another example. Verse 48, Genesis 24 and 48. Right, Genesis 24 and 48. He said, And I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord, and bled the Lord God, bless the Lord God of my master Abraham, which has led me in the right way. So that means what is he saying? He's saying, I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord. I bowed down my head in surrender and submission to what the are you following? Bow down my head in submission, bow down my head in surrender, bow down my head in acknowledgement. So the bow down of the head, the posture of worship is a statement. Amen? Amen? The posture of worship in worship is a statement. The bowing of the head, the bowing, lying prostrate on the floor is a statement. Praise God. You can also see Exodus 4.31, Exodus 12 and 27. Hallelujah. So it's an expression of surrender. So when Abraham went to worship and to sacrifice his only son as a typology, that God will send his only begotten son, he was demonstrating submission to God's will in his will, in that God's will was to provide the lamp. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, many men want to provide the lamp for the sacrifice of their sins. Many men want to bring their works. They want to bring their efforts for their atonement. High following. Many men want to have every other way, every other religion, every other option, except accepting the one God said he will provide. Are you, are you, are you paying attention? All right. Abraham goes to say, Lord, I submit to your will in that I submit, all right, that the lamb you will provide is enough to solve my sin problem. That the lamb you would provide is enough to solve my justification problem. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we now find in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5 and, and 6. All right. We have the psalmist quoted here. All right. By the writer of Hebrews who I believe to be Paul. All right. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. Now listen. Notice. All true... The Old Testament, the pre-Old Testament, Genesis and Exodus up to Exodus 19, and um, Exodus 19 down to Malachi, you're going to find that severally men offered offerings. They offered sacrifices, burnt offerings, sins, sin offerings. Now, all those burnt offerings and sin offerings were typology. They did not do anything for God. Hallelujah. Neither did they do anything actually for man. Look at what he says here, Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody really want to go. He says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, what? Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest, what? Not. But a body as thou, what? He now says, in bond offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no, what? Uh oh. Listen, let me, let's read it again. Wherefore, when he commented to the world, he said, Sacrifice and what? Offerings, thou what? Wouldest not. But a body has thou prepared me. He says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, thou hast had no what? So, what is he saying? He's saying, God has no pleasure in any body for sacrifices, any body of any animal, in any flesh of any animal, any blood of any animal for sins, except the body he has prepared. So, the body thou has prepared me is referring to the body of Jesus. So, he's saying, the only body, the only lamb that God has pleasure in, as it regards to what? 
offering for sin is the body of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Abraham, in submitting, worshipped. Abraham, in submitting himself to what God provided, worshipped. So one of the, the first definitions of worship that I'm going to give you is that worship is that posture of submission to the will of God and the provisions of God made available in Christ Jesus. Worship is that submission, that posture that we use a submission to the will of God and the provisions of God available in Christ Jesus. So any man or woman that takes a posture that states and says that what God has done in Christ is not enough for the what forgiveness of sins and the justification of men is not worshipping. For him to worship, he must first of all submit to God's provision for sin. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Glory to God. So by this definition, you can now, we can now say that except a man is born again, he cannot worship God. Glory to God. Because until he submits and acknowledges what God has done in Christ, there is no worship. Did you get that? I said, did you get that? Until there is that point where he submits and acknowledges what God has done in Christ, there is no worship. There can't be worship. Glory to God. So first and foremost, worship is not in the outward expression of bodily gyration. Worship is surrendering to God's provision in Christ. So that is why worship is a position we have taken, a posture we are taking in Christ. A posture we have taken about Christ, a position we have taken in Christ. Let me say that again. Worship is a posture we have taken about Christ. What is that posture? The posture of submission. The posture of surrender to what God has said Christ is. For what God has said Christ is, as it relates to sin, forgiveness, salvation, redemption. Hallelujah. You notice, there were some priests in the Old Testament. Their, their name was, we had Nadab. I'm afraid had Nadab and Abihu. Who offered strange fire in the presence of God. Now, because the, the perfume and the incense, and the prescription of those perfume and the incense that was to be offered in the holies of holies, all right, spoke of Christ. Are you following? They now went into the holies of holies and offered something else. Fire that was, you know, strange fire. So that means they brought in something else that was not of Christ. The next thing that happened that they were struck dead. Why? Whatever is not Christ is dead. Are you following? Another example. How many of you remember this um, story of David wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant? to his abode. He wanted to bring it close to him, you know, and all. So he brought the Ark of, uh, of the Covenant, and the Bible says they put it on a new cart. New cart, new cart. And the cart was being drawn by four-footed animals. What was the picture that was being painted? Now, the Ark of the Covenant was representative of the presence of God and the glory of God. Hallelujah. It had three things inside. It had what? The what? The Ten Commandments. It had the rod of Aaron that budded, And it had what? Manna. Is that correct? Now, the manna, all right, speaks of what? Bread. That bread that sustains. Jesus actually tells us that the manna is a typology of himself. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. 
Then, but the manner represented, all right, also being in that Ark of the Covenant, the rebellion of men. Because God gave and sent manna because the children of Israel did what? Rebelled that they were hungry and there was no food. Then the rod of Aaron also was a picture of rebellion because Aaron's rod budded when certain priests came up and said, is it only Aaron that is going to be priest? So God caused the rod of Aaron to bud to separate Aaron, all right, from others that he was the one that was chosen as high priest and those 250 guys for challenging Aaron, the ground opened up and destroyed them. Then the Ten Commandments actually were also given, all right, because the children of Israel rebelled against the Abrahamic covenant. Remember I explained that to you during soteriology. So the Ten Commandments were a response to the rejection of the covenant that God had with Abraham. Because God did not give any commandment to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob for close to 1,000 years of relationship. After the Abrahamic covenant, there was no commandment given. But when they did not walk and choose to walk by faith, in what God had provided in Abrahamic covenant, the Ten Commandments was given to them. So what you had in the Ark of the Covenant, when you had the mercy seat on top and the rebellion of man being represented by those three items, what we were seeing was that the mercy of God covered man's rebellion. Are you following? All right, the mercy of God covers man's rebellion and God in his glory and his might was sitting on top of that mercy seat. Now, what picture are we seeing there? We are seeing there that in the midst of man's sin and man's rebellion, God's glory covered because of his mercy and his truth. But the act spoke about the union between man, even in his worst state, and God in his most merciful state. Are you following? So that means the act was a picture of the unification of man with God. Are you following? Are you following? Which means what the Ark of the Covenant spoke to was, as, uh, was that it spoke to man being the carrier of God's glory. Are you following? Are you following? This was why it was stated in the law of Moses that it was the priests that were supposed to what? Carry the Ark. Priests. Chosen people. We're supposed to carry the ark. Sanctified people, separated, were supposed to what? Carry the ark. That was the picture because it was a picture of the new creation. It was a picture of what? Of the church. Praise God. David put it on cattle with new carts to carry it. Which means now, you have carried the glory of the invisible God and you have put it on animals. Amen? Then Uzzah saw that the thing stumbled. Then he stretched out his hand. Praise God. And an angel of the Lord smote him. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's move on. Amen? <laughs> hey! God doesn't kill. Yeah, I said an angel of the Lord smote him. <laughs> and the angel is right. Don't worry, we all sat before the prayer and we judge angels. The angel will explain. <laughs> so, where were we? Uh, so, worship is a posture as it relates to the Christ, the Lamb of God, God will provide, and a position in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. So until we've sorted that, it is not possible to worship. Look at John chapter 4. Let's hear what Jesus said about worship. Jesus now introduces something called true worshipers. Now, that definition or description of true worshipers immediately communicates that there are false worshipers. Hallelujah. They are what? False worshippers or pseudo-worshippers. Because when Jesus communicates, let's look at John chapter 4 and verse 10 into 14. Alright, when Jesus begins to say, alright, the time is coming and now is. Right? The time is coming and now is. He is saying, because let's like, turn it there. Let's turn it there. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who is he that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and would have given thee what? Living water. Next verse, 11. 
He says, the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Next verse. He now says, Had thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank well of himself, and his children, and his cattle. Now verse 13, everybody wants to go. He says, what? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into what? Eternal life. Next verse 14. He now says, um, The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water. All right. Uh, uh, this one said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I test not, neither come hither to draw. Now verse 16. Now we are talking, notice. Notice so. We started talking of water. Amen. And Jesus now says, this water, this water is, you know, it's just water. Now, if you know who I am, I will give you what? Living water. Now, notice we are talking metaphor. Jesus is driving out to substance. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. Now, he now says, Jesus said, go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, said unto her Thou as well said, I have no husband. Next verse. He now says what? For thou hast had five husbands. Jesus, now, listen, notice. We're talking of living water. We're now talking about living water that Jesus says, if any man comes, I'll give him a living water, and it will spring up in him to what? Everlasting life. Now, Jesus is now showing her, glory to God, what the recipients of this living water can do and one of the things the recipients of this living water can do is that they can what know things about you that you didn't tell them are you people following what i'm saying don't miss that because this is he is now showing her by example what those with the living water will be able to do you understand because he said because if you come to him for the living water and you drink of the living water, it means that you will have the living water he has. Are you following? So he's talking about the spirit. You understand? So if you come to him and you get the spirit, that spirit of God will now be inside you. So he's now showing now what those, you know, can do in that they will tell you, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou art now has is not a husband. In that said thou truly. <laughs> the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a what? A prophet. Next verse. Now listen. This is where we are going. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She is connecting worship to a location. A physical location. Right? He said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say, who is the ye? Jews. Ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, what mountain is she talking about? She's talking about Mount Gerizim. Alright, you see, uh, oh boy, how do I start entering this one? Mm! Glory to God. Ah! <sighs> you know, one of the greatest disciplines you must have as a preacher is discipline in preaching. <laughs> yes, sir. Because if you study a lot, you know a lot. So, so you have to have that discipline. Ah, okay, praise God. Now, so if you go and study, um, during the time of the reign of Solomon, the Bible makes us understand that Solomon actually backslid. And after he backslid, a judgment came that the kingdom was going to be rent from Solomon's hand and divided into two. This was fulfilled during the period, the kingship of Jero uh, Jeroboam. Is it Jeroboam? No, Rehoboam. Sorry, Rehoboam. The guy that was raised was Jeroboam. So Solomon's lineage controlled two tribes, while Jeroboam's lineage controlled what? Ten tribes. Now, Jeroboam now moved the capital of what do you call it the capital of israel to samaria while the capital of you know judah remained judah and benjamin was what was jerusalem so in samaria jeroboam instituted a new system of worship you understand now after the fall of israel and the, in the captivity and all many of those guys all right who were you know in jeroboam's lineage and in that part of israel and they were around samaria when they returned what they did was they intermarried all right with different tribes so they were jews but they intermarried with different tribes. so they were called samaritans a samaritan is not a pure bred jew it is a jew that in his lineage they are you know they've intermarried with many Gentiles, Moabites, and all of that. So it's not a pure-bred Jew. 
So what they did was that because they were not purebred Jews, the purebred Jews with headquarters in Jerusalem never accepted them, you understand, as pure Jews, and they did not agree to fellowship with them in the six synagogues because they treated them as what? As Gentiles. Are you paying attention? So as a result, they now developed their own version of Jewish religion. In fact, they also developed their own copies of the text. So for example, one of the copies of the text is called Samaritan Pentateuch. If you go and research it, you will find that the Samaritan Pentateuch is actually a copy, a translation, all right, of the Hebrew Bible. Are you following? Are you following? Uh -huh. So you have that. So they, they now worshipped in Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim was now their own Jerusalem. There was now their own holy place. Are you following? So now she was asking this question, and this question seemed a little bit political because Jesus, if he said, oh, Jerusalem is where we should worship, it would have meant that he sided with what? The Jews. If he said Mount Gerizim is the place we should worship, he would have said that it climbed that he sided with what? We, are you following? Are you getting the gist now? Why she asked that question? Are you following? Because the Jews said, no, we are the authentic. You understand? It's Jerusalem we should worship. Then the Samaritan said, no, 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 no. You understand? So, you know, she was trying to find out where we just pitch his tent. Now look what Jesus now said. All right. Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain. He pointed to the mountain because... He was in Samaria, Gerizim. All right, all right. Not yet at Jerusalem. Worship who? First time, Father. Now Jesus is now talking about worshiping the Father. Father is the one who gives birth to someone else. So if the Father is who we are worshiping, the character and the kind of person this person called Father is will determine the place where we worship Him. For if he was a physical being, then we have to worship him in a physical place. Are you following? So he now goes on to say, all right, now I just worship the Father. So Father is, Matthew 6 says, our Father who art where? In heaven. So if he's our Father in heaven, how come we are worshiping him in Gerizim? Is Gerizim heaven? No. How come we are worshiping in Jerusalem? Is Jerusalem heaven? No. So look at what he now says next verse. He now says, go with the God. Ye worship, hey, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Now what did Jesus mean? Salvation is of the Jews. He is not saying salvation belongs to the Jews. He is saying the Savior is going to come through the lineage of the Jews. Are you following? Because Jesus is a Jew and is the Savior. So he was going to come in the lineage of the Jew after the flesh. That is part of the promise of Abraham. And that's part of the promise made to, to, to David. So Jesus, because he is a Jew of the seed of what? Of David, Jesus still has rights to the throne of David. And when he's coming back again, he's coming back as a political figure, king. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And he will sit on the throne of his father David. Because via that lineage, David, Jesus has rights to the throne. And via the womb of Mary, Jesus has rights on earth. Oh, glory to God. Are you following? So, he's going to sit on that throne and it will not be illegal. When the devil sits on a throne, on a man's throne, it's illegal because it's the devil. So, the devil needs a human being to reign through. Jesus does not need that. Jesus is a man. There is one that what that intercedes between God and man. He is himself what man, Jesus Christ. First Timothy two four. So he's God and he's what man. So because he's a man, he has rights on earth. <laughs> God is wise. Listen, God is not wise. God is wisdom. He is the master chess player. Listen, eh? I fear for the devil. You know, that's why the Bible says do not promote a novice into office. Because when the person, the novice is in office, you now begin to feel arrogant and pride. That, you know, there's something. So that's how the devil was thinking. How can someone say you want to outthink God? There are possibilities your brain cannot fathom. God is already there. Then he is there. He has passed it. That's what you want to outthink. So, you know, God is, ah, God is amazing. You see, God is the only one eh, that can use your star, your star striker to score against you. 
Not to just score against you, to score a trick. Then, listen, that's what all God can do. God can, the only one that can use your star striker to score a trick against you and not realize that he scored against you. Ha! Huh. You don't understand. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, had they known it, they would not have what? Crucified the love of glory. So, you see, the very thing devil was trying to get done in the death of Jesus was an own goal and he didn't know. So when Jesus died, yes, we've done it. Woo! And he was like, woo, go, yeah, eh, eh. You see, you see, ah, you see, eh, 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 eh. They're dancing in heaven. I'm sure the angels were looking at you. They looked towards the throne of God. <laughs> and they would say, we bow before your throne, man. God, man. I mean, you didn't even need us. With the assistance of the devil. The devil scored an own goal and also gave the assist. Are you, do you understand? That's why the Bible calls it the manifold wisdom of God. Multifaceted wisdom of God. The devil was confused. Part of the defeat of the devil is the shame that came with it. So, man, the way you're casting out devils, in the name of God, get that. One of the core things, core things, Listen, one of the core things that hits Satan is shame. Because he is reminded of his absolute, unlimited, unforgettable stupidity. Are you following? Praise God. Then after Jesus rose, God now said, you see this man, you said he didn't want to serve. You said you wanted to be more than an angel. This man, I'm going to give them time to dribble you very well. They will cough and you will run. <laughs> they will sneeze. You will <laughs> praise God. You were you were doing. You were thinking. You were doing with Jesus, right? Oh, don't worry now. There, there are going to be millions of Jesuses all around the world. Glory to God. Who sneeze? Do I mean? You know when you say in the name of Jesus, there is something in the DNA of Satan. Are you following? That has to respond because you see, it's an automated command. All right, resist the devil and he will flee. So it is automated. Glory to God. As you resist in the name, he flees. The devil has to fulfill prophecy. <laughs> if he, ah, without knowing, he fulfilled it at the cross. Uh, his, his hand is prophesied. Glory to God. So Satan now has faith in his hand. Because the Bible says something. Because the devil knows his days are numbered. Alright. He's what? Seeking who to destroy. So he has faith in the end. In, his, in, the, in the prophecy. Glory to God. Now he says, you know, worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comments. And now he's, listen. When the true worshippers, what is he saying? He's telling you that the true worshippers are not in Jerusalem. Neither are they where. In Mount Gerizim. All those people bowing down. He said they are not the true worshippers. All those people offering sacrifices of bulls and goats. He said they are not the true worshippers. They did all of those things until the time of reformation. So he's saying the hour is coming. He's telling you the hour of reformation where I make all things new is coming. Glory to God. Glory to God. He now says, all right, all right. Now it's when the true worshippers shall worship who? The Father, where? In spirit. And where? In truth. So when he says Father in spirit, that word in spirit, in the Greek, all right, it also means through the spirit. Praise God. Or by the spirit. And by the truth. So it is instrumentality. What is he saying? He's saying that, to worship the Father, it is by the instrumentality of the Spirit you can do it. So, for the Father, look at this. It says, all right, we shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh us to worship him. Next verse. All right. God is what? His spirit. And they that worship him must worship him where? In spirit and in truth. So, that means he's saying, God is a spirit. It's a spirit being. To contact him, you must be spiritual. Are you following? Now, when he's saying 
To contact him, you must be spiritual. He's saying you must be spiritual like he is. It means you must have the same substance that he has. So he is telling you automatically that to worship God, John 3, 3 to 6 must happen. You must be what? Born what? Again. And to be born again, you must do like Abraham. Surrender to what God has said concerning who? Jesus. Come on, is this clear? This is important. So that is why a worship song is not defined based on the mention of Jesus. A worship song is, uh, is one whose lyrics surrenders, submits, and acknowledges what God has provided concerning sin in Christ Jesus. That's a worship song. So a worship song has Christ as the center. A worship song has the provisions of God in Christ as the center. Anything other than that is banjo music. Hallelujah. I go hammer oh, ha, in the name of Jesus. Oh, ha, I go hammer oh, ha, oh, my, my life. Range Rover, oh, my, my Range Rover. Plenty houses for there. Is that not a gospel song? Is, what is gospel in that? Praise God. Praise God. Right, see, yafun, 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 yafun. That, that, <laughs> that's not a gospel song. Now, if you want to sing about the provisions of the Lord materially, all right, you must sing it in a way that does not promote covetousness and places the Lordship of Jesus over those material things he provides. Because if you sing a song that makes the acquisition of material things the focus, you have not sung a gospel song. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 3. A man can give and not worship. And a man can give and is worship. If a man gives for the purpose of many more, Bearing the image of Christ, that is worship. That action is worship. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 lets us know that. Paul, in talking about the Philippians giving to him, says that this, your action, is a sweet-smelling what? Savor to the Lord. Which means that their action is worship to God. Why? Because they gave it out of honor for a servant of God, and so that that second God can get the gospel word around the world. Hallelujah. Are you following? So you can give and it's not worship. And you can give and it's worship. So that's why Paul always talks about it's acceptable. So that means there are some that want to worship, but they are not doing it in an acceptable way. So there is acceptable worship and worship that is not acceptable. Now, let me just round up and say this. You know, if you want to worship a deity, you are not supposed to worship that deity on your own terms. You worship the deity on what? On his terms. It's like this. If you want to honor a man, praise God, you don't honor the man on your terms. You honor the man on his terms. Because who is going to interpret what is honor? It's not the person you are honoring. Okay, for example, <laughs> if you liked Rafis, uh, if you like Pandediam, Isiewu, and Bitali soup, and you said that is what you like, praise the Lord. 
If I ask you, what would you want for your birthday? I want to honor you. Ah, you know, so I just, I, I, I really want to eat pounded yam, isie wo, and, and bitterly soup. And I provided that for you, and you ate it. Your soul will be satisfied, and you will bless me, because I provided what your soul wanted. Is that correct? That's honor. Now, if you ask me for pandelian, you say you and Bitalisov, and I cooked Indomie and gave you. Are you following? Are you seeing the difference? Are you following? Yeah. God is saying, divine righteousness is mine. For you to have it, you have to have faith in who? Jesus. That's the only way you can get. There's no other way. So believing in Jesus is honoring God. Not believing in Jesus is dishonoring God. Believing in Jesus is respecting God. Reverencing God. Worshipping God. Not believing in Jesus. No, if you like, do calisthenic display. Bow down your head 15 times. You are dishonoring God. Because he has told you how what he has can be assessed. He said it is where in Jesus. He said no matter the righteousness you produce, I can't accept it. It's not acceptable. It is the acceptance of the one I produce, I give you, that is acceptable. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm saying here? Do you understand? So, take that into worship. In dancing. If the dancing is on, we will talk about that because it's a, it's a month-long series. If the dancing, I, okay, how do I dance? I've been in praise and torture services where... Someone said he's actually praising God. This guy, I mean, there was a service we went for. I mean, years ago, it was a praise night. It was in one CAC church, I think. It was a, is it CAC or Redeem? I don't know, one of those. Dear Lord Jesus. Woo! Labo Sakaye. This guy was doing, this guy did praise worship. Then he got to a point, and the guy removed his shirt. And began to wave it. You know, there are some guys that know how to do this praise stuff. That the drum, I mean, James will love those kind of, you know. We know it's not God we are doing all those things for. Me and you, come on, we know. That we are enjoying ourselves. Do you understand? That's why when the music is not good, they don't dance that well. Are you following what I'm saying? We are the focus of that music. Not him. Hallelujah. Listen. How will you know when worship is going on? By who the people's focus is on. When the focus is on the person leading the worship, worship is not going on. When it's on the keyboard and the drum set, that's not, worship is not going on. Worship is going on when the focus is on him. And what he has done. Are you following? And when you focus on him and what he has done and his mercy and his grace, tears now begin to fall down your eyes. You now see people prostrate on the floor. Now you see, there are different kinds of people. There are people that prostrate on the floor and roll as a religious thing. They just want to just roll, you understand? But there are some people that prostrate on the floor and roll out of revelation. Are you following? Now, dancing in the spirit, singing in the spirit, worship in the spirit, is that activity that is prompted from within you, born out of the acknowledgement of what God has done for you in Christ. Hallelujah. So dancing in the spirit, the person dance and rejoices, is born out of what? An acknowledgement of what God has done for him, we are in Christ. Singing in the spirit, same thing. All right? Psalms, hymns, spiritual song, same thing. Which means, the reason for the rejoicing in the spirit and all of that is rooted in what God has done for you in Christ. Praise the Lord. Have you learned something today? Can we lift up our hands and just bless his name? You have just listened to a message by Rev. Dr. Femi Olale of Oikea Christian Center. For other messages, visit our website at www.oikiacc.org. Remain blessed.